in a sense, I've been living with Agar for about a month now, for several weeks, and uh, just staying in the book of Proverbs and trying to soak that up. And this morning, just sitting at the kitchen table, having a cup of coffee with Agar, and I thought, I'm going to miss you. Farewell. <laughs> and then I turned and said, hello, John. <laughs> Welcome in, because next week, we're going to begin a new series from the Gospel of John. John has such a different perspective and different approach than any of the other New Testament writers, especially those who wrote the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three um, accounts of the story, the life of Jesus, called the synoptic gospels because they kind of flow in sync with each other. You know, they affirm one another, they overlap, they, you know, you get a good full picture of something. But then along comes John. And he just steps out on his own and presents who Christ is from such a totally different uh, vibe. And I I love the book of John. I just love that. And because there's so much there, we're going to do something a little different. We're just going to walk through this book, beginning chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to go through. It's going to be a little different construction and style than maybe we've used in the past, but I'm, my heart, my soul is just um, leaning into that. And I find that if I have a few minutes, that God just keeps drawing my heart to the, to the gospel of John. Like say, Agar, I'm going to miss you, dude. You've taught me so much over the last few weeks. But, um, but when I'm by myself, I'm thinking, hey, I've got 10 minutes. I'm just going to look at John. You know, do you ever do that? You just feel pulled back to something? So uh, I'm anxious. I'm really looking forward to that. Last week, we considered Agar, who was a prophet, uh, who was also, we found out, a list maker. He was a very organized guy, who in other parts of this chapter leading up to today has reminded us of several specific things. And this is kind of my takeaway. Um, he, He told us to explore God's Word to seek God's purpose, to appreciate God's indefinability, to ponder God's timeline, to affirm God's authority, and to anticipate God's eternity. Those are some of the uh, just taglines or the headings, you know, that, that I've learned over the last several weeks. The real buried treasure, the heart of this proverb, the core of everything is today in chapter 30 in this three-verse prayer that Agar prays. It delivers um, like a blueprint uh, for discovering God's design for our life. And leading up to today, uh, during this week, I have prayed for you guys so much. I've prayed for myself I've prayed for you, and I've kept it real simple. But one of the things that's become very repetitive in my prayers is that hopefully today, those of you who are wondering, you know, God, where are you leading me? What direction are you going in? What do you want me to do next? Um, that this might be the day that you begin to get answers, that you might go, oh, it was right there uh, all the time. I'm, I'm really entrusting the, the Lord for that. Well, Agar's prayer begins... Uh, brilliantly. It says this, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies 
far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's a really good prayer, isn't it? I find that sometimes if I pray and if I just drone on and on, and as I'm praying, I think of things to add to the list about me and stuff I want, it becomes a long list. And if we do that, you know, we're really likely to add in all these items. And we really didn't start off thinking, it wasn't the passion of our heart. We, we don't really need it. We just thought about it. You know, just sort of impulsive, like, oh, yeah, and you know what? And could I get caramel with that? And could you put, you know, we just sort of kept doing that. And for me, whenever I do that, it, it, it gets more complicated. It gets more tangled trying to track that or trying to trace back and to see where God is answering my prayer and involved in that. I find, you know, years ago, Dr. Adrian Rogers, who's one of my heroes, He said this, he said, the prayer that starts in heaven ends in heaven. You know, it just makes this loop. And I find that when God puts a passion in me, or he just, when when I'm praying, not just like, oh yeah, you know what? Hey, it'd be really nice if I could get that in red. Uh, You know, when I don't just kind of keep adding things on, but when, when, when my heart is crying, and, and those prayers that, you know, that pour out of me in those moments are the prayers, I think, that have started in heaven. And I've seen again and again and again, they, they end there uh, as, as well. And I don't have a hard time tracking God's response to those things. Now, it, it's true, and I want to say this real quickly because, you know, I'm going to be misunderstood. I can say things in a way that you think, I think he meant this, or I think he said that. You can pray a thousand prayers, and God is going to hear every one of them, okay? So I'm not saying you should pray less. You should just pray for a minute or so every several days. You're good to go. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But but I think Ager's example, the, the way he does this is an approach to prayer I really like, and, and I think it's worth you considering, because, you know, when you get your prayer requests down to a specific heartfelt des- desire, you're going to find yourself becoming more aware that God is working in your life and through your life and how he's doing that. You're going to begin to see, oh, wow, look how this lined up with, that. you know, it's just going to begin to fall into place. Uh, and you'll know, wow, God is really answering my prayer. Now, Ager, you know, he, he's so vulnerable. We've talked about this before in this series. He's just a transparent guy, and I think I like him. You know, I think if, if we're going to be able in heaven to have relationships with people and to catch up with people that we've read things from, and I think, Ager, I think it's so cool that you come out of nowhere. We know zero about you. And you get a chapter in the Bible. We don't even know why you got a chapter 
uh, of the Proverbs. There's only two other people that even wrote Proverbs, and you just pop up, and then you disappear. So tell me about that. Tell me about you. But I think he's just a regular guy, and that's one of the things that really just sort of draws me to him. And he identifies out of that vulnerability two things that he personally struggles with. Now, if somebody said, Dan, you know what? We're going to give you a chapter in the Bible. What? Yeah, we're going to let you write one of the chapters of the Bible. What do you want to say? I'd like to tell people where I mess up. I'd like to tell people where I really sin and struggle. No, I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm probably going to try to be a little more eloquent or shift the attention somewhere else because this is there now forever. You know, and that's one of the things I like about the Bible is that it presents people as they really are. And it just reads like history, right? You see these beautiful things, these powerful things about people and their personalities, but you also see all their quirks and their flaws. And you think, wow, that doesn't read like a novel or a, you know, a TV show or a series or a, a movie or anything. It just, it just smacks of this, this kind of this reality. And Agar absolutely brings that to the table. So I really like this about him. He says, here's the things I struggle with. Discerning truth and owning stuff. And when I read that, I thought, uh, yeah, me too, Agar. Me too. Discerning truth. Agar prays this. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Get those out of here. You can almost hear his thought process. The world is just so full of lies. Just so full of lies, and they trip me up so many times, so often in my life. Lord, please protect my ears from hearing all those lies, especially the ones that are going to lead me down a wrong path uh, and keep me from lying so that I don't become deceptive, so that I don't deceive people. Now, he wrote this a long, long time ago, okay? But I was reading recently, you know that the average person, at least here in the U.S., hears between 10 and 200 lies a day. Every day, you're lied to between 10 and 200 times. Now, you hear that many, and they influence you. People lie to you all the time. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you're the liar in somebody else's life, okay? Um, you are one of those 10 to 200 voices that somebody else hears, and we do it almost without thinking. We tell little ones, we tell big ones, we tell them sort of accidentally, but mostly on purpose, or we just, we just say them, and we don't think about it. We don't even remember it later. I didn't say, I didn't, I've never lied to you. You think, yeah, actually you have a lot of times. And Agar says, I'm living in that environment that, that I, I don't want to be a liar. And I don't want to fall for stuff. He, and I think he's on to something. Uh, truth matters. That's what sets us free. In fact, if there is a strategy or a key, you know, a key go-to behavior of our enemy, Satan... From the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden all the way forward, it's that he tells lies. It's that he's a liar. And he just does that constantly. He obscures the truth. He bends it 
twists it and, and, and gives it and messes everything up. So part of Agar's prayer, he admits his brokenness before the creator and he says, I need help with this. I need, I need help. And I know that that comes from hearing truth, discerning truth, and speaking truth. So I don't know where and how loose you've gotten in that or how gullible you are when you, when you hear things or what you say or you repeat, but it's really important that you, you pull back to this core value of just truthfulness. It's truthfulness. Everybody wants to know what's true, right? You don't want to believe just urban legends or gossip or saying, I don't know if it's true, but I like it or it sounds interesting or, you know, it, it's... It sounds like something I'd like to say again, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, don't, don't do that. Just deal in, in truth. Even crooks and liars um, may ignore the truth, but they want to know it. They want to know what's real. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want somebody to say, now, do you want the truth or do you want me to just tell you a lie? Yeah, just tell me a lie. I don't care. I think, no, I want to know the truth. I want to I know the real deal about that. And Ager's um, next request is not very typical. He's daring to pray for a life of moderation. Check this out. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. See, again, if I got a chapter in the Bible and I was going to write a prayer, I would just scratch that nor riches out. Wouldn't you? Give me neither poverty, but give me, and I'd scratch the word only out, just give me my daily prayer. You know, I I love this guy. We live in an age of extremes, right? We, um, bigger, better, more, um, you know, all, all of these things, the latest, the greatest, and all of that, it's, it's always better. You know, and the minute you get something, whether it's a new phone or a car, whatever it is, you're already looking over your shoulder going, what? Wait a minute. That's, mine doesn't have that or it doesn't do that. I want, I want something else. I want something else. We, just, we constantly buy into that. Now, there is a flip side to it, and sometimes I'm kind of attracted to this. There's this entire subculture choosing to be minimalists, you know, and there's a part of that that, that my heart's kind of drawn to. We, we have a new neighbor in our neighborhood, and they just moved here from Boston, and they're in that process. You ever moved into a new house, and you've got all these boxes, and she said, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is see what do we really need so we don't unpack up, we don't take anything out of a box until we need that thing. And she said, I came into the kitchen yesterday morning and my husband's eating cereal out of a little Tupperware bowl. And, and it's one of those little square containers, you know, like you store food in. And she said, okay, I'm going to go get you a cereal bowl. I'm going to go get a cereal bowl out of the boxes and we need that. And I said, you know, that's really a smart thing to do because we've still got boxes that we moved into our house from our other house, from our other house, from our other house, and it's down in the basement, been there 20 years. You know, we do that. We just accumulate. We've got so much stuff. How many shirts are hanging in your closet? 
I mean, you know, and you just go through and you think, well, I'm going to wear that again. You do that? I do that. I do that. I think, yeah, because I'm, I'm really losing pretty fast. I'm going to wear, I'm going to look good in that ag- again. And, you know, and, and maybe your spouse or your roommate looks at you and goes, nah, I think you can give it away. I don't think you're going to wear that again. But we have a tendency. So sometimes minimalism, you think, yeah, just give me the basic stuff. Except my basic stuff would probably be a lot of stuff. How about yours? You know, I think, well, no, I need that too. I need that too. And you just kind of build back up again. Agar is not really endorsing either minimalism, nor is he saying wealth and influence and all of that defines success. That's a false measurement, especially here in the U.S., I think that we use to determine, am I there yet, or to judge other people. You know, that's kind of the measuring thing. Agor identifies a balance, this perfect mix of, of getting what you need and then needing what you get. And that's it. He sums it up nicely. He said, only my daily bread. It's important to find your daily bread uh, in your finances in your health, your relationships, your activities, your emotions, just your daily bread. Agur's prayer for only his daily bread was written down about a thousand years before Jesus. The only time I could think of off the top of my head that that little phrase, you know, give us our daily bread, give that was from Jesus delivered in his Sermon on the Mount. When he asked the Father, he said, and, and, oh, and give us our daily bread, you know, and that was just this part of his prayer. I thought about in the Old Testament where, you know, God's people were wandering in the wilderness and they would get this daily manna and yesterday's would spoil real quickly and so you couldn't save it or, you know, make jerky out of it or something to kind of keep it going. No, you had to go ahead and eat it, but the next day they'd be fresh again. And so they just kept... You know, you could make new, you know, manna burgers and, you know, bamama bread and, you know, all of these things you could do with it. But then by the end of the day, you got to start over the next day. That's sort of what he's, that's sort of what he's talking about and, and a good picture. The words are comfortable for me to pray and Lord, just give me my daily bread, meet my daily needs. But I don't know if my heart always means that. You know, the thing is, that's not even exactly what Agar prays. He doesn't say, and give us our daily bread. He added the word only. Why did he do that? (laughs) Why did he do that? But he did. He introduces, you know, this, this deeper level, this next level of trust with the one who provides. Agar identified his weakness. Guess what it was? It was the same as yours. It's materialism. Stuff. He knew, if I have too much, I'm going to take the credit myself. Folks, I have seen this so many times in so many people's lives. You know, you just keep, and you get to a place where you think, 
I really don't think I need God at all. Actually, I think I did this. You know, we take the credit and we begin to see ourselves through this filter of, well, I'm pretty brilliant, I'm smart, I'm filling the blank, and I did this, and God, I, 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 don't, I don't even need you. And haven't you seen that? Have you ever seen that in your own heart, your own life, where the more you get, it just sort of creates this, it pushes you back, and there's this distance that begins to develop between you and God, and you think, wow, I, I don't know how, how this happened. It doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. I've seen the flip side of that. I've seen the other side of that too, where people don't have enough, and then they're angry at God, or they blame God, or you know, it's, it's, it's his fault and that kind of thing. And if you have too little, then you're really tempted to do some distant, like he says, I'll steal stuff. If I can't get it, then I'll go all Jean Valjean, and I'll just steal what I need. And he said, but at the end of the day, that'll dishonor God if I do that, if I rely on that kind of behavior. Plus, you eventually get caught. So, to be clear, money itself is not the problem. It was Agur's emotional attachment to money. That's the problem. The Bible doesn't say, and you've heard you know, guys like me say this before out of 1 Timothy 6.10... Um, you know, well, the Bible doesn't say that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. It, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't really say that, or that money is the root of all evil. What it actually says is what I just said. It's the love of the money. He says out of that, there's all kinds of evil. It just spins in all kinds of directions, right? Haven't you done some of the most ridiculous things that you would never do because you were trying to get some money? You're trying to get ahead or get something, you know, and you think, uh, officer, I wouldn't have done that typically ordinarily, but, you know, and it just pulls us in all these different ways. Now, we're familiar with the first part of that verse, but you know what the second part of that verse? It keeps going, and it says this, and it's not really describing specific evil results, but it finishes, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Agur knew that. So again, I love his self-awareness. And he's praying, you know, in, in essence, Lord, keep me in this place where I'm dependent on you. Where you're in my life and I can have complete trust in you. And as I do that, I find this balance, and that's the sweet spot. That's where I want to live my life, because I can't do life without you. I can't live without you anymore. Having somewhere in between too much and not enough is that beautiful place of contentment. You're just content. Just content. This theme of contentment pops up several times in the Bible. Uh, when I began to think about that, and I had just written out the word contentment, the first verse that popped into my mind, maybe it's the first verse that could have just popped into yours, it's Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I've been broke. 
I know what that's like. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. When Paul says, I've uncovered the secret, I know how to be content. I found this launching pad for doing really great things. And the source of strength is, simp- is just humbly trusting God for my daily provision. And then I can just stop thinking about it. I think those are inseparable. Um, Paul and Agar are on the same page. Settling into God's will gives you this confidence to put yourself out there. When you're trusting him, I mean, when you're really trusting him and you're kind of living in that place and you finally understand that, oh, God's providing for my every need. I don't have to keep stressing about that. He cares for you. He loves you just like you are, just the way that you are, and all the pressure's off. I hope that just feels kind of liberating for you. You've got nothing to prove. You are free to dream dreams and to explore your life without ever having to think of it in the terms of success or failure, success or failure. He's always loving you. He's always going to love you, whether your cup is empty or whether your cup is overflowing. You don't have to worry about it. God is inviting you into his sweet spot because that's where you'll find rest and peace and contentment. I'm discovering that trusting God gives a clear vision to your purpose, uh, to the power, how to tap into that energy to achieve that purpose. That's what happens when you just live a life in that sweet spot with him and just trusting in him. And there's a bonus to it. There's like a sweet spot bonus, you know. It's, it's like, ah, even even better. And the, the cool thing about this is you're ready for it. There's nothing I'm going to tell you. Sign up for these 12 lessons or get this book. Or if you listen to these five podcasts, then no, you're ready. Sitting here right now today, uh, you're good to go. Right now, you're fully equipped to answer God's call. I really want you to get that. Um, he's been preparing you uh, probably your whole life, you know. Uh, to meet a specific set of challenges that, that you're going to see. They're going to be presented to you. And he's been preparing you for that. Ephesians 2.10 expresses it pretty well. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that now we can walk in them. I want you to read that verse in maybe a different way. And with that in mind, here's that sweet spot bonus uh, that's available to everyone that's seeking God. 
uh, it's the, the, the answer to the question, and I've been asked this, some, I've asked myself this, but whether in counseling or as a pastor or just as a friend, what should I do with my life? What do you think I should do? What is God's will for my life? Maybe you phrased it that way. What should I do? And you probably won't be surprised to hear me say, after reading Agar especially, uh, that it's about balance. It's about balance. Listen, God wants you to use your giftedness, all the gifts that he's kind of given you and the passions and the heart he's given you, just simply to glorify him. It's, it's, it's harder than it may sound, but it's a lot easier than most of us make it. If you can dance, dance. If you can write, write. If you can build, build. If you can plant, plant. If you're a good hugger, hug carefully, <laughs> respectfully, ecclesiastically the side, but do what, you get it, God has equipped you, and you struggle with that, and you wonder, and, and I think too many of us, too many people miss this point, you know, we think that listening to God and following his plan is so mysterious, I mean, I felt like this for a lot of my Christian life, God, you're so bewildering, and God's like, yes, I am, my will for you is Maybe, no, maybe it's, oh, I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> because I'm God. And, this, and, and we, we, we think God wants his people to be confused. God, you're just so confusing. Yes, because I'm God. You know, I, and there are some things I'm confused about sometimes, but not this. You know, this. Maybe you were taught uh, to live in fear of a God who is just watching you waiting to catch you at something so he can judge you. And he's like this cosmic, you know, I, I don't know if you've got people like that in your life. Maybe you think, yeah, that's my mama. <laughs> you know, or that's, that's my boss. Or that's my coach. Or, you know, or there's people who think, aha, gotcha. I gotcha. And you've got that image of you. You think that's, that's what he is. And then he just delivers judgment. Maybe you think that if something is too easy for you or enjoyable for you, then that's not it, right? No, that couldn't be God's will because I really love that. And then no, you know, no, no, then it's not worth doing. Now, I'm not saying everything you love, and I think it's a little deceptive, like to tell a child, you can be anything in the world you want to be when you grow up. Oh, okay then I want to play in the NFL. <laughs> you know, I think, no, nah, you're probably not going to get to do that. But what's your next pick, president? I want to be, nah, probably not going to do that. Keep going. You know, and finally you're going to hit something. I think you might could do that. You know? So th that's not always true. And your heart's probably not really there anyway. It's just maybe so, so much your imagination. Uh, so I'm, I'm not telling you you're going to make a huge income or, you know, maybe even have a vocation at something you love. But I'm telling you, you got permission to do that and to do it well and to do it for the glory of God and make your life about that, not just how it is that you earn enough money to pay KUB and put gas in your car and, and to go to Taco Bell. You know, it, 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 that is something different 
than who you are. You can stop identifying yourself in terms of just your vocation because most of you will have more than one. You'll have four, six, ten different jobs in your lifetime. And you think, well, which one of those am I? It doesn't matter because that's not who you are, but how God built you. So here's your challenge. Do not be one of those people who per perpetually thinks, well, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be fill in the blank. Or that you need to somehow earn the right to be happy. Stop it. Stop. You know, stop. Consider the possibility that you can live in God's will, right in the bullseye of the target, beginning this very day, today, right now. And the great thing is, you can do it by being you. Because, I told the guys this morning, we were preparing the slides, and I said, if there's one sentence that I wish everybody could take away and ponder for the whole week, uh, and as the week would go along, we would all have this aha moment. Ah, oh, I get it. And I've been trying for 10, you know, 30, 50 years, and I didn't know. I'm, you already are God's workmanship. You're already God's workmanship. I know this is cheesy, and I don't like it when preachers do this, but I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to say, I am God's workmanship. Will you say that with me? I am God's workmanship. Some of you said it half-heartedly because you don't really believe it. You've believed all those lies. Go back and pray the first part of the prayer. God, let me stop believing those lies about myself. Begin there. He has lied to you about you again and again and again since you were a little girl, since you were a young man, and now you're buying into them and even repeating them to other people. Well, I, I just, no. Starting today, you can just say, well, I guess you've probably heard that I'm God's workmanship. <laughs> say it like, and say it with swagger. That's okay. Yeah, just say it like that. You're God's workmanship. Recognize and believe that what you love could be a gift. It is a gift that you can then in turn give back to God. I hope this makes sense. If you open your eyes and your heart, your mind and your soul, you're in Christ, open up to who you already are. Then get up in the morning, just be you. Just be you. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And then you're going to find the courage to step forward and to do that thing that you're holding back from because of the old deal about success and failure and embarrassment and all of that. You're going to think, well, this is who I am. So I'm going to do that.
You just live out of that place in Christ where you already are. Isn't that great? Isn't that beautiful? I want to pray over you that, that you would be able to step forward by faith under his grace and really uh, trust God for that. And maybe just pray those, those two prayers. God, help me to stop believing and telling lies. And Lord, give me only my daily bread, just what I need. And thank you. Thank you for setting me free. And that I am your workmanship. And what that thing is that I'm pulled toward, I can just fall into that. I can just run into that. And I can be that. Doesn't that just wake your heart up? Father, you just bring us joy when we sense that, when we feel that, that you in us and the gifts you've given us were not there to be shunned or denied, or, but we lean into those and think, actually, I love doing that. You've given us permission and said, yeah, I know. I know your heart. I wired you. I built you. I designed you. Go do that. Do it with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body. Just go for it. Thank you for being who you are in us. Now set us free, Spirit, in Jesus' name. Let's worship.